Hello, beautiful humans. Aaliyah Chan here, and welcome to Human First Podcast, a space where I talk to inspiring individuals about their mental health journey in an effort to increase mental awareness, normalize struggle, and end stigma. Together, we embrace hope and celebrate all parts of the human experience. As a mental health podcast, I acknowledge that these sensitive matters may be triggering for some. If you are in crisis, please reach out to the crisis center in the area that you live in or call 911. Your safety is top priority, so please always listen in a way that feels comfortable and safe for you to do so. Thank you so much for joining me here. Hi everyone. Today on Human First Podcast, I had the honor to chat with sex therapist, counselor, and writer, Erin Davidson. Erin talks about her Christian upbringing and how she had to unlearn and unpack her relationship with sex. After being sexually assaulted, Erin discusses her battle with shame and self-doubt and her raw journey towards empowerment. Now practicing as a registered clinical counselor with a focus in sex and relationship therapy, she was fueled by her own healing to support others going through similar experiences. In addition to her counseling work, she has since written a book, Break Through the Breakup, where she provides a guide for those navigating the end of a relationship and taking on the next steps towards a new chapter. Erin was so lovely to talk to, and I hope you all enjoyed this episode with her. Welcome, Erin, and thank you for joining me on Human First Podcast today. I'm very excited to chat with you and I've got your little book here as well that I know you're going to be talking about and I didn't realize but I'm matching with the purple today so um, there you go just rep in. Um, Yeah so excited to have you on. Oh that's so awesome and I've got the pink too so we've kind of like there you go together. (laughs) Yeah I'm excited to be here. I love what you're doing with the whole human first angle with the podcast. And so I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Yeah, I'm so excited. Um, and, and the way that I usually like to start is I honestly really like to just turn it over to my guests, get them to start wherever their story starts. I mean, we are talking about a book that you wrote, but I know your story kind of goes before that, but it's, you know, goes earlier than that. And yeah, wherever, wherever you want to begin, is it okay that I turn that over to you, Erin? Yeah, I will give it my, yeah, it's so funny when you try to like piece together your story. So I will give it my shot and then you can help me out. <laughs> Amazing. Sounds good. A bit disjointed. Yeah, I feel like I think of it for myself, like I feel like the narrative over the last couple of years has been this feeling of being like a recovering perfectionist or like mm. imperfectly trying to stop being a perfectionist. And so I think that that kind of comes back to like how I grew up I grew up very much um in a like white middle class family that really valued things like achievement and Mm. we went to church and so like going to church and being like a a good girl was very much praised and highlighted and so I feel like a lot of my now like coming into adulthood and like self-development has been trying to unlearn a lot of that and come Mm. to like a more genuine version of myself. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Unpacking shame. It's always with perfectionism. Right. So a lot of that. 
Okay. Yeah. So that, that narrative, um, it started when you were really, really young. And it sounds like as you've grown up, you've had this recognition, like, oh, wait a second, maybe this isn't working for me <laughs> anymore. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. where for you, Erin, was that kind of moment, like when you realize, oh, I, I'm dealing with some perfectionist tendencies and that's not sitting right anymore. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I think for a long time, when you grow up in an environment where achievement is really valued or things where appearance is, it feels, and with Christianity, like feeling like you have to follow the rules of mm. what the Bible is saying, it can feel like if you're ticking those boxes, it can feel almost like reassuring, like, okay, right. I am doing well in school. I'm playing on a sports team. Um, I have a boyfriend, like all these different ways we like kind of mentally make yeah. ourselves feel okay. Um, and so high school for me was a time where it was very anxiety inducing and very like mm. high pressure, um, but also felt like, okay, I'm like doing the things um, and like, okay, I've got this kind of like roadmap of what this is supposed to look like. Yeah. And then at a certain point, it becomes something that you start to go um but like what are these rules for and like is this actually working for me and this is really stressful and this is really hard yeah um and again like whenever there's like we get our value externally there's always it's not a stable thing so like there's these moments where you feel like you're doing it and then there's the flip side of like all the shame and feeling Mm -hmm. like um all of that. And so I feel like the moment for me, um, if I were to like boil it down to one moment, but it was a kind of like a combination of things. It was my first year of post-secondary. Um, I was, I was a volleyball player. And so I went into a school in Florida. And so with my Christianity at that point, I'd been really told that you weren't supposed to have sex before marriage. Mm. And I took that to the point of like, for me, it felt like either you're a good person or you're not a good person. Like you're a good person if you're listening to that. And then if you're kind of going against that, then you're like, you're not a good person. And it felt like this big weight that I was carrying. Right. I know a lot of people can feel that way, but I went to Florida and then I'm in this place where there's all these different churches and Mm. I remember trying them out and feeling like, okay, like I've got to keep being a good Christian and feeling like there was this real sense of like, I don't know if like inauthenticity is like the word for it, but it just felt like it was putting on a front. Mm. Like it was this big show. Like there would be these big, like mega churches where it felt like the preacher was like Justin Bieber with his like, (laughs) it was just (laughs) a lot of fanfare and everything. Right. but people that I would meet would, and people like on my volleyball team would say that they were doing one thing on Sundays where they're this like package of what you're supposed to look like as a Christian and then condemning things like, oh, you shouldn't be having sex. But then we'd find out that they were having sex and it was all like, everyone was just lying about things. And I remember thinking like, okay, if we're just going to lie about what we're doing, like, what are, what is all this for? Like, what is this? Um, and it just started to unravel this sense of like 
okay, maybe these like things that have been outlined aren't actually um, the, the things that make life meaningful. It's just like following what we're supposed to do. Um, and so the sense of like feeling like, okay, up until this point, what I've been working towards was getting a volleyball scholarship and playing volleyball. And that's also what was good. And then I wasn't really having mm. that much fun doing that. And it was mm. kind of this like unraveling of like, okay, what is, what is, what is this all about? And right. yeah. And like in the mix, I was in a long-term relationship with my, my high school boyfriend mm. and it was a really good relationship. And I started to question like, okay, like what is so bad about having sex if it's somebody that you care about and why is it this shameful thing and why is there this weird double standard with men and women and I also around that time like a year or so later I was sexually assaulted and that also was sort of I think if I had to pinpoint one moment was the big kind of unraveling moment of like I just like I remember feeling with my therapist at the time, like, I just wish sex wasn't a thing. Like, mm. why is it so complicated and creates all this pain and shame? And like, it just felt like I wanted to like throw in the towel of like yeah. figuring all of this, this out. Wow. Aaron. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> um, no. And, and I'll give it like, to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. And Oh, like just a ton of ton of experience in that little segment that you um, gave us today and so much that I want to unpack and explore right because what I find so interesting is you started off by saying that there are kind of these like there's a checklist mm-hmm. and it's interesting how when you check all the boxes you feel really good and you don't even really question why you're doing it right you're just yeah. Okay. I I'm told that I have to do this. I'm doing it. I'm living my life. And this is what it's, it's, how it's supposed to feel like. And I really love your use of the word unraveling because that word, like what's coming up for me is kind of almost this falling apart in a way, like unraveling in this messy is kind of the word that's coming up for me too. And, um, how you were, all of a sudden just asking why, why is this happening? Why am I doing this? And sex. Yeah. What a complex word, what a complex act. And you growing up in a Christian household, you know, I grew up in a, in a Catholic household as well, where those conversations were not freely had. And then you grow up as an adult and you're like, oh, this is a thing that people do. And it's a thing in the world. And how come we were never, how come we didn't learn about it? Um, and then I'm, I'm holding space for your experience with sexual assault. And I, I want to check in around that, Aaron, if that's okay, because I'm curious as to h- how that affected you, especially um, having this sort of the importance of no sex before marriage. So is it okay to ask, Aaron, was that your first experience with sex as well when that happened? Yeah, thank you for asking that. Um, yeah, because I feel like that is important as well. So it it wasn't. And so okay. it was, I decided to have sex with my boyfriend and it okay. was something that got, it was really complicated. Like it was, I was glad that I made that decision to have sex with him and we'd been sexually active for a few years before 
mm-hmm. um, okay. the assault happened, but it, it kind of felt like I love, yeah, how you highlighted unraveling because it was like this slow unraveling, yeah. like Florida's a piece of that. Um, starting to have sex is a piece of that starting to learn more in university about like feminism is a piece of like the unraveling of myself my story and then boom like the sexual assault was like the expediting of like the feeling of like falling apart like yeah what I built my like sense of identity on what I built my like sense of security and also like the self-worth piece with like I had a lot of um like so many of us difficulty with feeling um like attractive or like Mm. my body and and I remember that it was on a vacation so I was on a trip with some friends and we went to Vegas and I remember feeling like I feel pretty and Mm. I feel validated by the person at first who was like flirting with me and then who assaulted me but I was feeling this like wow I feel good enough in this moment of like wow and then for that to be something that then was like oh I thought this is what we were aiming for was to feel like Mm. attractive and like validated for that to not be safe like oh like that is something that got all mixed up in my head too of like it's just all of it It so much of like I had to just like sit with this unraveling of everything and then try to like slowly piece together then who I wanted to be after all of this. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to get into that, right. Like sort of that after effects, because, um, I just as females, right. And, and I I'm sure I'm not, I'm sure, but I know that we all want validation from others, whatever gender that we are, but for women specifically, there is that narrative, right. That, we're told that, oh, don't dress like this or dress like this, or this is how to feel pretty. And, and this is what you should look like. And, and how that just, it, there is no clear story. And we're always kind of like, kind of tiptoeing around that you're feeling out the waters. And then it does play a role in our self-worth when we do get pretty. And when someone says, Hey, you look good. We're like, Oh, wonderful. Yay. Check again. Right. This is what I'm yeah. supposed to be doing. And um, the, the contrasting pieces in that as well in your story in Vegas, because growing up as well, sex was something that I, what I'm sensing was sacred. It was again, something that was told to be like special. And then you felt special about yourself. You felt good. And then it wasn't like that, you know, that that's not sacred what happened, um, to you. And so, um, if it's okay, Aaron, to take us into yeah, what what looked like that? What oh, I can't even get my words because I think I'm processing your story a little bit. I'll yeah, be honest. Totally, and I noticed this, and I don't know if you notice this as well. Sometimes, but sometimes with the really hard stuff, it's like it's become a story in my head. So it's like almost like trying to just like it's a way of almost trying to breeze past the hardness of it. Is just to say it like. And then this happened and this happened. Right, absolutely. No, there's a lot of um, heaviness in that. And it's it's a hard thing. Yeah, yeah. I noticed you put your hand on your heart as well. And I feel that tightness because, um, yeah, I mean, I'm asking, here we are asking about your story, but I know there's so much to that really. And 
as you mentioned, just the unraveling, there's so many pieces to this and, um, yeah, Aaron, I mean, what, what did life look like for you after things has, has sort of unraveled and, and it sounds like the pieces were settling. What did that look like for you? Yeah, I appreciate that question. And if I jump to, I also say that, um, just as like, a when I, cause I think it, oh yeah, all of this is, um, there's a lot of layers. And so mm-hmm. also when I say it was a moment where I felt like attractive and then that wasn't safe, I don't by any means mean that like the way I was presenting myself, like warranted what happened or like the way I was dressing or like kind of showing up. And so I just kind of want to add that there. It was more like the like internal kind of experience of that, but yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thanks. Um, but yeah, the after component, um, was just this, like, it was a really difficult time in my life. And yet I look at it with a lot of, um, I don't even know what the word is. Like, I'm glad that it happened. The after effect, like the after piecing back together of who I am, I wouldn't want to relive it by any means. And I don't wish that on anybody. I think as someone who was going through life so deliriously sure Mm. of what life was supposed to look like I'm really glad that I had my like Jenga blocks knocked over so that I had to like start to put them back and so that looked like a lot of therapy um it also looks like what I'm learning about myself is working a lot like I think when I'm going through a difficult time I just pile on stuff so that I'm so busy. And so the pandemic was a time of that for me where I just like did so much and like yeah. went to like, I don't have to think about stuff because I'm just gonna like right. <laughs> work a night shift and work for this and do that. Um, so I'm, I'm working on that now that I've <laughs> noticed that, but <laughs> it was very much that. So I was, um, yeah, I was doing a few jobs. I was volunteering. I was, in, I was a university student. Um, and I was going to therapy mm-hmm. and a lot of reading. Like, I feel like the books I read at that time, I still hold very near and dear to my heart of like, uh, when you say fall apart, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've read Pema Chodron's book, When Things Fall Apart, like I held I that haven't. book. Oh, it's beautiful. I like, like would clutch it to my chest on the bus. I, I don't even mm-hmm. know if I fully understood it at the time, but there was yeah. something about the way she would talk about making sense of the difficult times that I I would pick out pieces of that. So that was very helpful for me. Um, But yeah, it it was just very much a time of feeling very untethered Mm. and slowly, slowly then quickly. Like I think a big piece that really characterized that time was a lot of shame, Mm -hmm. which I know is um, unfortunately, I think it's almost like goes with sexual violence. which is really upsetting because it's like the shame isn't yours as the person who's been on the receiving end of the sexual violence. And so it's, it's really unfortunate, but it's almost like part of it. So there was a lot of shame and a lot of feeling, um, 
yeah, just really lost. And then slow, 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 slow healing. And then these like moments where it kind of would happen. So having somebody tell me what happened with sexual assault was a really big moment for me because that for a long time I didn't think that it it was like it wasn't what I pictured when I would think of sexual assault which is like a stranger in the bushes kind of jumping out yeah yeah I think that's Mm -hmm. such an important piece because um I hear that a lot right where um, and I, I'm, I'm sure you probably do as well, maybe with your own clients as a therapist or just people that you know, right? That um, the way that media depicts sexual assault and sexual violence can be this really extreme way. And not to say that that doesn't happen as well, but we all we also have to um, note the the occurrences that happen just on a daily basis that are a little bit more subtle even, or yeah, don't, or aren't as like brutal as again, the the media can depict and, or the stranger. And, and, and I think that that shame piece that you were talking about, um, you know, as you mentioned, unfortunately goes with the the experience. Um, I don't know if this is something that you share. It's like, if you're feeling that and, and you felt that that experience wasn't an experience that you wanted, that's assault. That's, there's no consent. And I think that's the, like, that's just the piece that we forget about a lot of the times, like, and, um, with shame as well, what was coming up for me is, and this actually is a new thought. I don't know if this is thought you've had, um, as human beings, we love control. Like we love certainty and predictability. And so, to have that thought of, oh, I wish I could have done something, or maybe I should have done something differently. It's like our way, our, our brains trying to make sense of what happened. Um, but realistically, there is no maybe sense of what happened. And that is so hard to digest. And so again, your use of untethering um, is really resonating with me as well with that experience. Yeah, I really agree with what you just said. I, I think like thinking back to that time, it was so much questioning and like that, that self-blame piece and eventually coming to a place where, where, because I think what would happen is like, okay, I'm blaming myself or I'm like criticizing how I responded. Mm -hmm. And so that must mean that that's true. Like there was a lot of self-doubt of like, okay, well, did I make this happen or like just kind of going back and forth and then eventually getting to that place where it's like you can almost hold that self-blame part with a bit of compassion because like what you're saying it's like that's the part of you that wants to keep you safe and like feels like it had or wishes it had more control than it than it did yeah and so because it's so hard like to hold I think that's why we see so much victim blaming because it's hard to sit with the fact that sexual violence happens and a lot of it happens without being able to control it and so rather than sit with that we then go and we point the finger and we go oh well they should have done this or done that when it's not anything that that person did it's the actions of the the perpetrator who decided to make those actions happen so yeah I think that you're so right. The self-blame part comes from wanting more control. Right. Yeah. It's hard to give that part up as humans. We, we really dislike it. (laughs) 
Um, and yeah, I mean, here's a situation where, where, yeah, it's not your fault and that you didn't have control. And that's, that's the thing. And it's, it's, it is the fault of the perpetrator, as you mentioned, and it's, it's really hard to sit with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so Aaron, so you, you mentioned it was like a slow healing, but you would have these moments and maybe to fill in the gap, because now I know you as someone again, who wrote this book, break through the breakup, and then you're also a sex therapist. And so what happened like the in-between, what did, what did that journey from you being in university, kind of this untethering to this person now who's making Mm -hmm. sense of it all um, and also helping others in maybe a similar situation. So what has that journey looked like for you all those missing pieces in between yeah the, the filling in of those gaps the filling um, in yeah <laughs> um I think another big moment for me was deciding to write about my experience of sexual assault um and I think shame as we've learned from from people like Brene Brown and um is that shame is a social emotion and so mm. when we feel it we feel like we have to hide away and hide it more and more and more but the the antidote to that is when we feel like we can tell our story in a way that yeah. won't be judged and I don't I like again caveat with like I don't think that that has to be publicly I don't think that that has to be through um it can look so many different ways um yeah. but for me it was writing um and it was that was a really scary vulnerable thing um but it just released me of so much of it because it was like well I don't have to hold this anymore it's like I've Mm. written even just writing it down was like okay it exists now and I can let some of it go from my system um yeah but the most healing part of it was writing it and then having people reach out to me so people that I knew like close friends like acquaintances strangers sending me messages being like Mm. like sort of like a me too thing like this happened to me too um sharing their stories and it kind of blew my, my mind open of how common it was I didn't realize um and it just that also took away so much shame and it was it was really sad um, and hard to learn how common it was but it was this mixed thing of like okay this isn't I'm not the only one um and around that time too like really lighting a angry fire of like the injustice of it and wanting to um learn more and then yeah, just like, again, injustice of like, I am a white woman with a lot of privilege and this mm-hmm. happens to me and the rates of this happening to other groups of like black women, indigenous women and like trans women are so much higher. And just like that yeah. fueling me into as well, going into my master's degree in counseling and um, my decision to do my thesis about interviewing sexual assault survivors. Mm-hmm. So that was even more kind of like right finding meaning and also um again feeling less alone with it Mm. um and and 
that trying to make sense of it. Like I think yeah. the research part in me was like, again, wanting to make sense of like, oh, it's like systems of oppression that are creating this. It's not right. um, that like individual um, experience. Like why is this so common? And kind of learning more about that. Um, right. Almost like finding this sense of community through the research in that way, as you mentioned, like shame being a, a social em- emotion, you leaning into just other readings and uh, other people's experiences of it. I'm kind of getting the sense of it allowed you to be like, okay, there's, yeah, there's, it's not just me. This isn't a solo experience. As you mentioned, there's a community in this, unfortunately, wait, right. Like there's a lot of yeah. sadness in that, the fact that there is a community in that, but um that's what I'm sensing for you leaning into that research. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a selfish, like wanting to understand and then the wanting to connect to something um, right. within, yeah, within yeah. that, like finding, finding that for sure. Right. And so for you um, pursuing a master's degree and now becoming like now being a registered clinical counselor, was this a career that you wanted beforehand or was it this experience that really drew you towards the profession yeah I think this experience drew me towards the like sex therapy side of things okay um which in itself was still a slow burn process because that was like quite a um like I I, I joke sometimes if I were to like kind of go back and talk to my high school self, she would be like scandalized <laughs> in that direction. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the counseling lens, I think, came still from that. I grew up in a family where people didn't talk about um, like feelings on a on a deep level, and I remember just like like opportunities to like get an, an, uh, like what's the word for that? An entry point into what that was seemed so interesting to me. Like, wow, you just get to sit with people and we're all we're going to do is talk about feelings. Like what a privilege. That sounds so awesome. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that kind of drew me in as something that was unique, um, from an early age Mm. or like, I don't know, 14. So I was sort of chipping away at that. Um, but the lens of sex therapy, I think happened sort of slowly. Like I, I started to work, um, so there was learning more about sexual assault. And then I was working as a, um, counselor for women or, and people who were making the decision about having an abortion. So I was kind of talking about sex and, um, sexual health in that area. And then it just started to come piece together where as I was doing my own healing from the sexual assault, there was a while where I just, again, wanted to block off that part of myself because it had caused a lot of pain, but slowly starting to listen to podcasts about sex or read books or, um, in my undergrad, there was a sex, um, human sexuality course. There wasn't a lot of talk about sex in the master's degree. And so I also remember thinking like, why are we learning about this and like wanting to learn more and kind of pursue extra training in that but it kind of just built on itself into a point where I learned about a sex therapy training program and I like kept the tabs open on my computer for like a full year 
where it was like, oh, I wish I could do such a thing if mm-hmm. only, but this feeling that because of my upbringing yeah. and I just felt like, oh, I couldn't do that. I had this image of a sex therapist being someone who was like really quirky and cool and confident. And um, mm. I didn't feel like I fit the bill, but right. I really wanted to. And yeah. I eventually got to a point where I was like, whatever, like, I'm just going to do it. And then we're going to, maybe I'm going to just be in the counseling room and they're going to see right through me and I'm going to feel like a fraud, but mm-hmm. let's just try. Right. Yeah. And what was that? I'm, I'm curious, you know, that piece you mentioned, you had the tabs open and there was a part of you that was really interested in it, but then there was still that like kind of younger self saying, now you can't, you grew up in a Christian house and we don't talk about sex. And just to look a little bit deeper into like that identity piece for you, Erin, I'm, and if it's okay to ask as well, like, how does your family feel that you're a sex therapist now? Or is that something that's even talked about, you know? And the reason why I ask is because again, like I'm, I'm thinking about if I, you know, for me in my experience, even a, even me being a counselor, a lot of times my family's like, what do you really do? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because <laughs> mental health in general, um, you know, for a lot of households, as you mentioned, didn't, we didn't really talk about feelings. And there's also that stigma too, with just counseling in general. And so to add on that added piece of now, not only you're a counselor, but you're, you specialize in sex therapy. Um, yeah. What, how is that for you and in your family, if it's okay to ask? Oh yeah. It's a good, it's a juicy question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, we can talk about sex. We're talking about families. Uh, yeah. That's just, harder. yeah. You tell me. <laughs> um so the first part of like the moment of when I did decide to just like okay we're gonna do it was I went out for drinks with my masters with some um classmates from my program when we finished and everyone was talking about the extra trainings they wanted to do And some people were talking about wanting to do this, like different sex therapy trainings. And I remember feeling like this feeling of like, no fair, like I want to do that. Mm. (laughs) Like I couldn't for some reason, like, and then I went home and thought, like, I can, like, there really is nothing stopping me. Like the feeling of what's stopping me is what you said, like the younger, younger part of me or the part of me that still feels like, um, I can only do what my family, um, expects or has done. Um, right. And so I just decided to to do it. And then the family part kind of came after of, of yeah, how do I even put that into words? Because I think also some of this is, I think that we sometimes don't realize how much our parents also change um, mm, and yeah. grow. And the way that they parented me when I was younger has like they've grown as people. Right. And so I think that yeah. I had internalized more anticipation of like shame or disappointment than actually was there by the time I was an adult and right. making these career decisions. And so I think a part of me wanted to hide it for a while. And then eventually as it came out and was obvious, this was the work that I was doing. Um, it's, there's, there's, there's still times where I think we have different views on things. Um, and it was, it was, wasn't clean and it was a bit messy, but yeah. this is something where I do think that they, they, they feel, yeah, I'd have to ask them, but I think that like, I, yeah, it's messy, 
but mm-hmm. I think that it's it's okay I yeah. guess yeah that's, yeah yeah, I think that's the honest answer, probably, right? Of it's not, yeah, when we're dealing with this sort of like familial um, customs and, and the culture in our households, right? Is that it's, yeah, it's usually not clean. And, and though this being a field that, as you mentioned, is healing for you as your human self, not just in that professional sense, right? This is something that you were drawn to because of your experience and mm-hmm. um, to, to, to further that, because I know we've also um, been talking about your sexual assault experience, but I know your breakup was something that is, was, is, was a key piece of your journey as well. And I'm not too sure if you want to take us into the relationship part of your life as well, in terms of how that played a role and it has played a role up until this point too. Yeah, for sure. So the, we stayed together, me and my high school boyfriend, um, for a few years after the sexual assault happened. Um, it was definitely a challenging time right afterwards because I was in the shame and I thought that it was my fault. Um, and so it took me learning more and being able to validate my experience to really explain how... Mm. I hadn't cheated basically that like what happened wasn't um consensual and Mm -hmm. so that was definitely a a healing process for both of us and I think we um imperfectly again like worked through it but um I think we got stronger after that yeah and then we were together for a few more years and then our careers kind of took us in different directions which was just painful and hard um especially after being together for seven years as a formative time of your life yeah and the breakup I think happened in the midst of learning more about myself and being in my master's degree and learning about things that I really cared about and that um we just started to kind of grow apart Mm -hmm. and then throw the like we were doing some long distance because of our careers Right. And another like untethering for sure is like, oh, this is my, one of my main like attachment people. Right. And to now be single for the first time as an adult and dating was really um, very much a growing period. Um, Like dating for me, I think. So yeah, the breakup dating for me was one of the most again like um formative times in my life like times where I was most learning about myself um which was a big reason why I wanted to write this book is Mm -hmm. I think that breakups for people can be those big experiences that like knock over the Jenga blocks and you've got to like reassess who you are and who you want to be and um I just think it can be I think we underestimate when we talk about it sometimes how painful and how hard that process is. Absolutely. You actually took the words right out of my mouth. That's exactly what I was going to say. How, um, (laughs) you know, like on this podcast, we talk, I talk about big things with, with a lot of people and breakups is something that we don't really talk about. And yet you're right. It is one of the most painful experiences. It's 
it happens all the time. Absolutely. But it shifts so much of your identity, your self-worth, as you mentioned, your attachment style, um, the sense of like isolation and loneliness and what to do next. And especially for you, I mean, that was, as you mentioned, a formative part of formative time in your life, seven years, that's a bit long time. And you, you're having to show up as a totally different person after that, like, you know, and it, yeah, it's super painful. And yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth in terms of, yeah, we need, we need a book like, like this and probably more, I was reading it and I'm like, Matt, I could have used this in like grade 12. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I love because you write it from such a, a human, like a, a human lens, right? You're not like there's research and there's some st- trip uh, tips and tricks on how to take those next steps but then you're also so real with us like I I don't know I, I can't even I folded some pieces but just in your sentences you're like yeah just like watching Netflix or something or just like the tinder swiping and these are all the things that we we go through and it's common it's also really difficult and plays a toll on your mental health <laughs> absolutely yeah Oh yeah. Thanks for saying that. And yeah, I don't know if you find this working with clients, but there are moments sometimes where clients have just gone through a breakup or maybe they're going through a separation and it's, it's so, there are times where it's like, it's just so raw and so painful. And it's just, it can take us to these places where we have the benefit as the therapist of working with more clients and being able to know that the story will go on and it's going to mm-hmm. get better It's in some way. But there's those moments where you, you can just relate to so much where it feels just like this pit of pain that yeah. feels like, oh, and I just feel for people when they, they show up like that and they're in that place. And right. Yeah. I always say then, how, yeah. um, breakups, like I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> They make me so sad. <laughs> it's just, they're not fun. And um, I think it's honestly so cool that you wrote a book about breakups because it, yeah, it's, it's a tough time and you're that pit, it really does take you there. And for you, Erin, I mean, what was that like to have to re-identify yourself as a single person after seven years? Mm-hmm. Oof. Yeah, that for me was, <laughs> I joke, I think I wrote this in the book, I can't remember, um, but I went to my first therapy session with the therapist that I um, did this work with, and I was like, I, I had gone through the breakup, I knew I was going to need support, and I was like, okay, and I thought that we were going to talk about how sad I was and just how hard it was, and then within like 10 minutes, we were talking about my family. And what it was like growing up, and I was like, "Oh, damn it!" Like, <laughs> <laughs> I actually do do know down. that part in the book. I do. I remember seeing that, and I, and I laughed because, right, you're here with just this problem. You're like, I'm going through a breakup, and then the therapist is like, "But what? Let's go back." Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's and so, so funny. Re-identifying myself with a lot of like understanding my upbringing, understanding. Um, how things were dealt with and how that impacts me now and um like attachment style stuff basically um and how that then played out dating and um 
learning, wow, I have, I don't know if the people that are listening to this know about attachment styles, but I have a serious anxious attachment mm. style. And so dating was very much a roller coaster for me of um, starting to learn, okay, I have this anxious attachment style. How do I work with this? Because the way that I'm going about dating is very much like um, it's going to exhaust me. And mm. yeah, for people who maybe don't know about attachment styles, anxious attachment style is like you really can go in close with people quickly and you kind of crave yeah. that closeness. But when there's distance, so if someone ghosts you, oh my goodness, that's like end of the world. The <laughs> yeah. yeah. End of the world. Yeah. Or if somebody breaks up with you or um, doesn't want to go on a second date, like all of that was so hard and like learning how to um, date from a place of, again, kind of talking about like um, self-worth and self-esteem stuff from a place where it's not about um, building up my sense of who I am and feeling good about myself because somebody else is interested in me, but um, building more of a stable sense of who I am. Mm -hmm. And then looking at dating is like, oh, we're going to try meeting this kind of person. And is this a fit and explore this a little bit, but right. that was definitely a, a really challenging, um, like, like challenging experience to get to that place. Basically, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's, yeah, that that's so funny right here. You're going through the breakup, but then your therapist asked you, well, what happened in your childhood? What are all these challenges? And, and we laugh, right? We laugh as therapists too, because we do that. Um, and I think that's why breakups are so hard is because they, they frame pretty much everything that we know to be true about ourselves up until that point. And, as human beings, we're such social creatures that of course a breakup is going to shake us in that way where we're having to re-identify ourselves and learn these parts of ourselves. So then we don't do something different. We're creatures of habit. We love, like, we're going to crave a certain connection, but we taking that step back to say, is this what I want though? Okay. I do have this attachment style. Do I want to keep that? Or is there something that works a little bit better? I mean, that's that hard part that a lot of us don't like to do but breakups and separations can like they target that part absolutely it's a magnifying glass to that yeah definitely a magnifying glass for sure yeah um yeah. and so for you Aaron I mean here are these experiences where um and I I want to check in with you um Aaron you know where are you now with these experiences how do you identify yourselves how have you integrated these pieces now mm. yeah and it, it, I also I think about this too where um yeah our story is unfinished and always unfolding and um it's kind of nice it'd be nice to look at my life where it's like okay this happened and now I'm happily ever after <laughs> and everything's fine so it's always yep. like unfolding and learning and um but in my life now I am in a relationship with the partner that I live with and um love very much and I feel mm -hmm. very grateful that we I feel like we both did a lot of personal work and mm -hmm. I feel like it's a relationship where we can talk about our relationship like something that you work on basically mm. um and I think it took me a while to get there and really feel like this is somebody who can grow with 
Um, yeah, and so I feel, yeah, I feel really grateful about that, and I feel um, really positively about the future. And I also, but I also feel less so like my identity comes from my relationship. I feel like a big part of my um, also unlearning was feeling like and. I don't identify as a, as a Christian anymore, um, mm. but I feel like a big part of that upbringing was um, getting to a life where you're married. Like that felt mm. like the most important thing, married, have kids. Um, I remember at like my early twenties, I had my whole wedding planned out in my head and like what I, and that was going to be like kind of the peak of my life. And I'm grateful that that, kind of got on again unraveled in the whole mix of things so that I had yeah. more time to build build up who um I am and yeah what I what makes me happy what my values are um and yeah I don't know if I want to have kids um mm -hmm. I don't know if I want to get married a lot more openness I guess a lot yeah. more open-endedness less rigid um right. and I really really appreciative of the work that I get to do as well like working with couples talking about sex with people I feel like I learned mm -hmm. so much and um it just it, it doesn't feel uh it feels again just very human like very much like there isn't sex and then the other things that we struggle with as humans right. like the more I work with it the more it's just like integrated into yeah. all the other things and like if we have challenges in our sex life like nine times out of ten it is also tied into other parts of our our life and mm -hmm. just feeling like yeah I just think sex is such a wonderful thing to get to work with because because of that and because of um yeah, it's just about being a person um yeah yeah so this is kind of a, a long answer but this <laughs> is I think maybe descriptive of more so where I'm at in my life rather than being like I am in this neat, neat thing. Neat box. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate you laying that out because, you know, I'm hearing you ask yourself why, right? And that whole piece of marriage, I mean, that's speak into a chord <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I, same. You grow up mm -hmm. and you're like, you got married. And now these days people are asking, well, why? you know, if you're living with your partner and you have to be like, okay, why? And, and I love that you're not saying yes or no to that. You're not saying yes or no to kids. You're not saying yes or no. It's not black or white. All of these pieces, it's kind of like, well, what works right now? How can I integrate this now? And it's so much more fluid and you can take pieces that you like, you can discard the ones that you don't. And it doesn't have to be this like whole embracing of one thing and it define you. And as you mentioned that box, it's, it's probably not a shape at all. And it's very big. Um, and I appreciate that, right. That is, that is like human. And, um, especially with sex as well, that book, I, I'm sure you've read it. Most therapists, especially those dealing with sex have the come as you are book with from Emily. Yeah. Such a good book. Yeah. And I love that, that it's, sex is integrated actually with all our, like our human experience. It's not just something that you do in the bedroom. It's mm -hmm. it does sprinkle out and it sprinkles in and we're human <laughs> and it's, and that's it. And it doesn't have to, we don't have to feel shame. And I think that's, um, 
I take away that I'm taking from our conversation today of Mm -hmm. shame being that social emotion. And if we are open to others about these pieces, we will, we will feel less shameful because we're connecting with others. So thank you for actually bringing that to light this morning. Yeah. I'm appreciative of like having platforms like this to talk about this stuff more. Cause I think that's the main um, barrier to a lot of this is that we feel like it's not okay to talk about this. We feel like we have to show up in a certain way or um, even as therapists, I'm still unlearning this idea that we're not supposed to talk about the messier parts of ourselves. And so I think it's so wonderful that you're doing this work of like the human Mm -hmm. first, like we, that's what we all share and we all have the like messier, less neat parts of ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And before I ask my three little questions that I like to ask each person at the end of the episode, I also like to ask my guests um, if they could talk to their younger self, their past self, um, from whatever experience you want to focus on today, Erin, what would you tell that person? What would you tell Mm. that person? I I come back to self-compassion. because I was someone who was very hard on myself and people would tell me, don't be so hard on yourself. And I never really knew, like, I feel like you need an alternative. I feel like you can't just stop being hard on yourself. And so I would have appreciated somebody giving me the tools of self-compassion and having language for it and understanding um, there, there is an alternative that like, just like, beating yourself up, criticizing yourself to try to motivate yourself or feeling like that's what you should do. Like it actually has the opposite effect of what you would want it to. And it it distances you from other people. And so I I wish I'd learned about how like, it's okay to hold yourself gently and Mm. with kind kind words and um, that you don't need to tick these boxes. You don't need to, um, that you're already whole Mm. as you are. Mm -hmm. Oh yes. Self-compassion and wholeness. It's um, such a beautiful experience when you can learn that for your, yourself, you're, you're right. It, it shifts so much. It can shift so much in terms of how we treat ourselves. Yeah. Huge, huge shift. Um, And so segueing into my last three questions is it okay Erin if I ask you these now as we end as we're winding down here yeah okay my first question is what are you grateful for Mm. I have really felt grateful for living in the beautiful place that we do in Vancouver even like I think that's a big thing I've gotten from the pandemic and being kind of um like stuck here is like oh yeah we are so lucky there's so much like beauty around us and um it's a really lovely place to live Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I could never imagine moving anywhere else in BC but we're lucky that way and then the second question is um what makes you feel like your best self writing when I let myself um yeah, it's one of those things, right? I, I hope to be more consistent with it, but I kind of like do it for a while and then like stop completely. So I hope I get to a phase one day where I do it more consistently, but writing makes me feel the most connected. 
Do you have a new book coming out at all? I know you just <laughs> released this one, but are you writing another one? Not yet. Maybe, maybe <laughs> at some point. <laughs> okay. I'll Taking keep my break. eyes. Yeah. <laughs> keep my eyes peeled for, for your next book. Um, and then my third and last question for you today is what does being human mean to you? Mm. Being, being messy is what comes up in my head. Mm -hmm. um, and being human is screwing up and caring about people. I don't know if those two things go together. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Screw it up and then also being kind. <laughs> no, seriously, there you go. That's the secret sauce. I, I love it. <laughs> I appreciate that answer. I think that's perfect for today. Um, well, thank you, Erin, for joining me this morning. Um, for all the listeners, if you're looking, if you're going through a breakup, Trying to get back into that dating scene. Aaron's book, Breakthrough the Breakup, is a wonderful, easy read to just kind of touch base with yourself in that process. So if you're interested, reach out to her, reach out to me, or look, where is it? Is it sold in the bookstores? Where where can people find it? Yeah, all the online um awesome. bookstores like Amazon, Indigo. Wonderful. So take a peek. Um, and thank you, Aaron, again for joining me this morning and and um sharing your, your raw conversation with me today. Thank you. 